Welcome to the Self-Publishing Queen podcast. My name is Josiane Fortin and I'm a self-published author. I'm obsessed with helping and motivating writers to publish their books and share their gift with the world. My goal with this podcast is to inspire you to take action and be the writer you want to be. Let's go! Hello, writers. I'm Josiane Fortin, and today I'm interviewing Dave Chesson. So Dave is the creator of Kindlepreneur, Publisher Rocket, and most recently, Atticus. And so thank you for being on the show, Dave. And please start by telling us about you and about your services that you're offering. Sure. Uh, well, thank you for having me on the show. Um, I guess the best way to put it is, first and foremost, I am an author. I'm also a dad of three rambunctious kids, one of which is 21 years old and in college, but I still call her my kid. Um, she's my baby girl. Uh, I get to be full-time here with my family, which is my biggest joy. I'm the creator of Kindlepreneur.com, probably one of the largest websites out there on book marketing and self-publishing, especially from a traffic purpose. Uh, I have been analyzing Amazon and its data for a very long time and helping self-published authors be able to gain more knowledge and understanding of what's actually going on and what they can do to kind of help get their books in front of more shoppers. From that, I developed Publisher Rocket, a software that actually really helps to give that information. Um, back in the day, it used to be a whole bunch of like spreadsheets and numbers and craziness and authors don't enjoy that. So created something to make it much easier and much better uh, to help give the insight of what you can do. And finally, you know, as a, a writer myself, my process was always using a plotting software, getting kind of my information laid out, then opening up another software, in this case, it was Scrivener, to write the book that I wanted, then exporting to, to Word, emailing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth with my editor, and then finally taking uh, a file and uploading it to another software, a formatting software, um, in order to format my book. Now, this was a problem for me because I would have seven or eight different files on my desktop that said final copy. Um, final, final, final. <laughs> final, final. Exactly. All caps. This is the final. Please use this one. And then the worst one is final edited. Okay, great. Which one was the one? Um, and, you know, so I've, I've actually loaded the wrong book before into the formatting software. Um, I have been frustrated over the fact that I have to be on all of them. And so that was the driving point to get me to want to create Atticus.io. Uh, we've started by launching it as a phenomenal book formatting software with the ability to write your book. But as we speak, my team is constantly adding new features, making the writing area that much better. And my ultimate goal is to basically make it that if Scrivener, Google Docs, and Vellum got together and had a baby, its name would be Atticus. Okay, that's great. And I'm really interested about the formatting because I'm formatting a book right now. And I've been using for this trilogy, I'm using Readsy. Oh, and yeah. what I don't like about it, I really like how it's intuitive and you just click. But what I don't like, it's very US based. So mm. there's no way for me to change the copyrights or then I have to go into like another software so I can fix that because I write in French and so it's only in English so there's no way for me to change any word in those sections right so will you plan to do something that has more flexibility around like things like that whereas there's not a single page that's just fixed and that has to be included in the book 
Yeah, absolutely. As a matter of fact, already our copyright page, it does have a template inside of it, but you could just delete it. But the cool part is it still applies all the formatting to whatever you put on the copyright page. So, you know, that the copyright page shows at the bottom um, in the print book and, you know, those kind of components. Um, what's awesome too, is that we have a feature that allows you to create your own version of something and save it as your own template. Uh, so say, for example, you've designed a special looking author page or a special looking also by page where you list all of your books um, or you design something specific for your copyright page. You can save that as your own template so that when you go into your next book, you can bring that template right in, um, pop it in without having to touch it, um, you know, and import all those things you've done before. Uh, what's really cool too is that if you go to update one of those pages so say for example you import it into your new book and you're like oh you know what i should change the year to 2021 um, when you change that atticus will sense it and say hey would you like us to automatically put that in all the other books too that you use that same template in and if you say yes then boom all your books are updated and if you say no then just that one particular one will stay changed that is so exciting. It's just like the tiny little detail that makes all the difference because right. it's such a pain having to go back and just fix that. Or even like sometimes I'll just refer to an old book and be and look, okay, so how did I do it? How did I format it? What did I write? Like, how did I write that? I can't remember. And just to have that and just put it in like just a piece of the puzzle where you put it in and just, just update it every once in a while. Exactly. I've had that pain where, you know, every time I come out with a new book, right, uh, you clearly use the also by page, which is where you list every book you've written. Well, uh, like I always forget, you know, that, oh, I need to go through my other books and update them because let's face it, when people buy my other books, um, I would love for them to know my latest book, not the books that were written before that one was published, but my latest up to date. And so it just makes updating all of my back matter super quick. I can hit the export button, re-upload all of my books to Amazon just like that so that every book at that moment lists even my newest uh, from that date. And just being able to save that, that amount of time is just really cool. So that's like, yeah. like I said, first and foremost, as an author myself, I've I've had the pain of having to yes. go through them all. And so can we make a button just to make that easy? Yes, yes. then great, <laughs> do it. Awesome. And what would you say are the main differences between Scrivener, which is the most used um, writing platform? What, what have you improved on? Well, so, so far we're, we're very basic in a writing component. Okay. Um, in the fact that you have a clear writing pane, you have uh, most of the functionality of normal writing. Uh, we have not started to add extra features, um, but let me start by talking about where we want to take it. Okay. When I, Scrivener is a great program. I've used it since 2007. I wrote my master's thesis on it. I've written many books. I've even written some of my course, uh, my courses and my, you know, what I'm going to cover in courses in Scrivener. It's great for laying things out. The truth of the matter though is, is that um, I've paid over $400 in lessons on how to use it. Um, you know, Joe Nicoletti has a phenomenal course called Learn Scrivener Fast. Um, it's great, but here's the thing. It's a $50 software. And I've had to pay $400 to learn how to use a $50 software. Um, I think the reason, and, and I still don't know, but like maybe 30 or 40%, and I'm pretty techie. Um, the reason why I think this is, occurs is that I think that Scrivener's done a lot to hide a lot of features. So in order to know how to do this thing, you have to go up to the top left, click, scroll down, go to this other right, you know, and, and then find that one thing. Um, and so I've really found it not very intuitive. Um, it's it's just kind of 
full of all these things that um, that make it difficult to remember where stuff is. Uh, so that's one of the areas that we absolutely want to clean up on is making it very easy to use so that people don't have to pay $400 to learn how to use it. Um, the other thing is that what's really unique is with Scrivener, you're not able to collaborate with people, right? You can uh, collaborate with another writer and write instantaneously and see what the other person's doing. Uh, you can't collaborate with author or with editors. You can't even collaborate with ARC readers. You have to export and send it over. Um, this can be a real big bummer because, um, you know, first and foremost is you're, you're kind of isolated uh, and you have to remove your stuff out of Scrivener and then to go on to work with people. In the future, we have, we set up Atticus. So we've already done a lot of the work under the hood, but we've made it so that Atticus writers can collaborate with other Atticus writers as well. So when you start a project, you can click a link and you can share that project with another Atticus writer and you guys can work together. You can block off certain chapters, make it that, hey, only I can work on that one. Um, you know, also too, if you're going to go on a flight, you don't have internet connection, you can lock a chapter so you can work on it on the flight and there's no problem about deconfliction. Uh, we're also designing a special uh, editor version. So when the time comes that you're ready to work with an editor, you can click a link, send them that link. And when the editor opens up, it will open a free editor account just for them. It will look exactly like Word so they can track changes and do everything. But what's awesome is you can see it real time in your Atticus. So again, you don't have to leave it. Uh, those are just a couple of the things that we're going to be working on to really, uh, when we're finished, we're going to make it, you know, what I think is better than Scrivener at that point. Okay. Um, but as, it, as we are right now, we have some of the simple tools and capabilities that go with writing. Uh, one of our latest features that we just came out with, I think two days ago, is you can set your writing goals and you can also set up a writing habit tracker as well. So okay. say, for example, you're working on a book, okay? So you go into one book project. Uh, you can say that your target word count is 80,000 words. You can tell it that you like to write Monday through Friday and you wanna finish the book by say uh, December 31st. Well, what's awesome about this is that Atticus will automatically track and say, hey, okay, they write Monday through Friday. It'll calculate how many days, how many writing days there will be. It will divide that number by the total number of words. And now every day when you sit down to Atticus, it will tell you, hey, today you need to write 1600 words in order to stay on track to finish. Um, and, you know, we have cool things like when you hit the 1600 word mark, little fireworks will go off inside the program to let you know you crossed the finish line okay. for the day. Um, same thing with habits, habit trackers too, kind of like Fitbit trackers. Um, so we're adding gamification and things to kind of help authors hit their writing marks. Okay, so do you have to pay one time? It's a one-time fee or is it a subscription? It's a one-time fee. Okay. So yeah, what's really cool is that like Vellum currently is a $249.99. Uh, and that's one-time fee for the ability to do both eBooks and books. And that's just for formatting. Uh, ours is $147 and that's it. And that's unlimited books and eBooks. Okay. And why did you get interested in the self-publishing industry? Did you start as an author or an entrepreneur? How did that work? Yeah, well, I was actually on the other side of the world. I was serving uh, in Korea uh, for the U.S. Navy, and I had to go on deployment with my family. And my wife actually said, hey, Dave, you know, like, are you trying to be an admiral? Like, what, what's the thing with the military? You know, or are you just 
what, what's up? Cause we're missing a lot of time with you. And I said, yeah, that's a really good point. I don't really have one. Um, she's like, well, let's look for an exit plan. Well, when you're on the other side of the world, there's not many things you can do. Um, and so I really started learning about this Kindle direct publishing thing, this ability to write from anywhere in the world. And so I started to, um, I started to write, but I was, I was nowhere near a good writer. As a matter of fact, I'm far from it. Um, I suffered dyslexia. I always struggled in school. So I never believed that I was capable of being a great writer in that respect. But I figured I'm going to really work hard and I'm going to stick with it and I'm going to train and learn how to write better and hopefully, you know, sell books while at it. Um, one of the things that this led me to do was try to understand a little bit more about Amazon. Uh, it would be so much easier if somebody could say, hey, did you know that there are a lot of people on Amazon looking for this book and there's no book that serves them? Uh, that's a much better situation than trying to say, I'm going to write whatever I want and just, you know, hopefully Amazon helps me or maybe they don't. And so I really dug into Amazon. That's what really got me started. Um, but the funniest thing is I wrote my first ever book on a South Korean warship patrolling the waters in East Asia. So I can literally say you can write a book from just about anywhere. Yes. And the stats that you have, are they only covering the dot-com store or do they have numbers coming from all over the world? So uh, are in terms of amazon.com or? Yeah, well, let's say I'm writing in Canada. So how would I know if the numbers apply to the market I'm trying to like search for like, keywords or like finding undeserved, undeserved niche? How do I do that? Yeah, the good news is, is that the Canadian and the US market are extremely close. Um, there's a couple of areas where it's like different, like not to be cliche, but like, you know, the term hockey is going to have a lot higher um, search component in Canada than it would be the United <laughs> States or some certain other things, same with spelling. But in general, we did a major study between the two and they're really locked on. Uh, the UK market is a much more different. I don't fully understand why. Um, and there are major differences when you get into like the German market or the French market or um, the, even the Spanish market, which uh, varies greatly. Um, but all in all, right now, Publisher Rocket is able to do the US, the UK and the German markets uh, strictly. We are working on the French market and the, the Spanish market. But for our software, we don't just tap into those markets and say, great, here's the numbers. Uh, instead, we actually collect data for a long time. And we also sign deals um, with publishing companies and work with publishing companies to ensure that our data is always checked for accuracy and for fluctuations throughout the year. So once we have those things employed, then we offer it up in the market. Okay, that makes sense. And I read on your website that you've taught major publishing companies uh, and millions of self-publishers how to sell more books. So right. I'd like for you to share three tips about that. Uh, well, let's specifically with publishing companies. Uh, I can say I've sat in on the board meetings where publishing companies have tried to figure out which authors they're going to sign, as well as which authors they're going to uh, fund. And that, that sounds weird to put, but uh, the way that a lot of publishing works these days is that they will decide, say, and this is an arbitrary number, just for example, but I'm going to sign, we're going to sign 25 authors for this quarter, but we really only have the funding um, or the resources to be able to fully back and support three of the 25. And so what that means is that, great, you get a published deal, they will help you to publish the book, et cetera, 
but there's only three out of those 25 where they're actually going to be actively pushing and helping to sell. They're really going to put their best foot forward on that because it's kind of like a business calculation of like, hey, so long as we stick with, the, uh, so long as these three win, we will make money or enough money for the company for the quarter um, unless they have some gross issue. Now, in order to select the 25, a lot of that comes down to a lot of uh, rules and standards that the company has. But when they go to select the three or whatever that number is, that's based off of which ones they think they have the highest chance of making the most money from. That, that's like clearly what they go for. Well, if, it, if one of those submitted books is Stephen King, then guess who's definitely getting a number one, right? Um, if, but the other things that play into it is the author and how large their email list is. An email list is a very clear indicator of how much money a book could potentially sell. Um, and your social following those numbers, they're like to a lot of publishing companies that just translates to cash. So it is one thing to consider, especially if you are a self-published author, um, as you collect up your email list, as you work in a social media platform or so those things can convert to, uh, real monetary gains in a publishing company's mind and gives you a much better chance that they're going to help you more so than not. A second thing that I bring up on published companies too, is that back in the day, published companies used to look down on self-published authors. They used to think that, oh man, these guys, you know, like not good enough to be published authors, you know, nose in the air and that sort of thing. Um, but what they've really started to understand is that, wow, these authors are doing pretty good. They're making a lot of money and huh, readers are really liking it. Look at all those reviews. And instead of putting their nose up in the air about it, they're actually starting to look at self-published authors as free agents. Um, that's kind of like they see that, hey, this author clearly writes a good book because people are liking it. They're collecting emails. They know how to market. Like, huh, why take a chance on a no-name author that just submitted their book to us when we can reach out to that self-published author and say, hey, would you consider working with us on your next book? Or can we sign this book that you published and work to make it even bigger and expand your reach? And so we're seeing more and more of that happen from the published companies than what was before. And so this is only putting more, shall we say, power and capability on the self-published route than ever before. Yeah. Would they ever look at the topic and say, okay, this particular um, romance has like these characters and these characters are more in style than these other characters. Like did they anal analyze that part or was it oh, just yeah, that's, based on that's more part of, so remember when I said like there was the 25 and when they accept that, that's really about uh, that's based off of their standard. Uh, and that could be a lot of things. And, and what I've seen is like, for example, uh, you know, for middle school, um, young adult, um, there's, they even, I've seen in some where they have a word count per chapter. Uh, and, and if the book doesn't fit that, they just don't accept it. And it's kind of weird, but if you think about it, um, <clears throat> I tell, especially for those younger uh, authors or the authors writing in the younger age, go pick up a book, you know, in your age and literally look at the structure, at the paragraph layout, at the, the size of a chapter, because it's cookie cutter to them. Children of that age only have an attention span of this long. 
Um, so when it comes to, oh, and same things with like the lexicon or the use of certain words that, that you put in there, like if it doesn't speak like an eight-year-old, like it is not going to be sold to an eight-year-old and they'll just reject it, even if it's a really cool idea. So that's just a, that's just a very specific example. But yes, um, market trends is a big thing. You know, when Twilight first came out, heck, if you had just written any kind of vampire romance and submitted it to uh, one of those particular publishing companies, they would have snatched it up in a second. Now it's kind of beaten to death a little bit, thank goodness. Um, but it, again, that was such a trend they would have accepted. Even if it wasn't that great of a book, they would have taken it. So yeah. all of these things come into their 25 or you know that arbitrary number, that grouping of what they'll sign. But from that point on, then they analyze the 25 and they say, hmm, which one will make us the most bang for our buck and return on our investment? Okay, these three, let's do it. And what do you think is the next trend? Like, let's say someone's starting a book right now, what should we be writing about? Well, you notice something? I mean, there's, there's a lot of different trends. I mean, truth be told, there's individual trends in major genres. You know, uh, in fantasy right now, I would say that there's a, there's a growing trend in lit RPG specifically. Uh, in science fiction, um, <laughs> space opera is, is really trending up thanks to Dune or thanks to things like that. Um, you know, when, when the movie Dog's Life came out, uh, dealing with pet death was like surging. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that happen in the market that, that you may hit, hit it when it's right. And let's face it. Hey, if you're just starting out um, and you find a subgenre that that you know is trending well and you're very interested in writing it, do that. You know, just do it. Um, I'm not gonna, I won't sit there and tell authors that they need to write something they don't want to write. That's terrible, terrible advice. Because let's face it, if you don't love what you're writing, the readers can't, they won't sense it either. You know, I've read some flat stuff by great authors, and it was because they tried to force something in there. That being said, though. When you've identified the genre you want to write in, um, just studying and analyzing what's working is a great method. I know that authors say, but I'm unique and I'm creative and that's cool. Um, it really is. And that's why you're an artist. That's cool. But there's a reason why things work. Um, and in truth, like, uh, or was it Salvador? Uh, one of the painters, maybe Picasso said, uh, steal like an artist, you know? Um, I have a great example. I was, uh, I don't know if you know the author Orson Scott Card. He's a very famous science fiction writer. He's won the Hugo and Nebula Award. He wrote the book Ender's Game turned into a movie. Um, anyways, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his because Ender's Game was the first ever science fiction book I read as a kid and I absolutely loved it and became a sci-fi nerd. Um, but I got to work with Scott and Scott had said uh, to me that when he published the book Ender's Game, he was so mad at Tor for the cover because, and the original cover was this giant spaceship and this little tiny spaceship coming out and going off into space. And he was like, but there's no scene of that in my book. Like <laughs> there's no time that that works. This is stupid. And he was mad. And Tor's like, just Scott, let's handle it. We got it. And he's like, so anyways, so he was really perturbed. Well, two years later or so, he figured out they were so right. It wasn't about a unique part of the book. It was about making sure that the customer who looked at the book, at the book cover saw what they would expect. 
they saw familiarity and they knew this is a science fiction book, that this was a military sci-fi book based off of the, the structure. And that in that time, the trend of those kind of books felt and looked like that cover. Well, I started laughing and I was like, Scott, you know, that's exactly how I found it. I was in middle school. I got in trouble. The librarian said, look, you're going to go find a book and you're going to read it. And within one week, you're going to come back and you're going to give me the breakdown of what the book is about. And if you don't, I'm going to report you to the principal for what you just did. Now, I don't remember what I did, but it was probably really bad. So I was like, ah, bummer. I go over there and I'm literally looking at the spines of the books because I have no idea. I wasn't a reader. And um, I saw this one where this spaceship was coming out of another spaceship. I said, oh, I like Star Wars. That looks cool. <laughs> Picked up the book and walked out with it. And it turned out to be like one of my favorite books yeah. um, because it fit what I thought was the kind of genre I was looking for. And that's a key part. So when you do uh, decide that you're truly going to line yourself in a genre, align yourself in a subject matter, really focus on what's working. Now, try to understand why people love a certain character, what kind of tropes work and which tropes to stay away from. Um, you know, these are going to be key. Yeah, that makes so much sense when you talk about it. But still, like, I, I haven't been able to apply that to my own books. Like, I'm just so stuck into what I'm creating. Like, I, I create a cover and I don't know if it's like going to sell, like, I don't know what would sell. So I think like, I really need some people to coach me on that and, and help me. And then I'm selling in a smaller market in Canada, I write in French in Canada. And so uh, it's really hard for me to know what covers will pop out because like I'm confused with the US side with like the information that I get from the US like is that really what would transfer well to my market in Canada which is English speaking country um, mainly so I I'm still working on that but that makes so much sense what you're telling me yeah one of the things that I really like to do uh, especially for covers is I have a file on my desktop that anytime I am shopping on Amazon, doing research on Amazon, looking at the latest books or whatever. The moment I see a cover that really catches my eye, I will right click, save as, and put it right in that file. And then I will change the name of the file to what the thing was is that I liked. So that way, when it comes time to kind of envision what the book cover will look like, I can really steal the elements of all of these things and bring them together into something that fits. The same thing goes with uh, when I'm watching a TV show or when I'm reading another book, I have Trello on my, my phone. I used to use um, uh, Evernote, but it kind of drives me nuts. I mean, it's supposed to be for this, but there's problems I have with it. So I use Trello and I'll create a Trello card where I'll be like this one character. I'll just, I was just reading a sci uh, fantasy book and <laughs> there's a horse, this, the, the main character gets this horse. And it was kind of a slighted chance. And the horse is an idiot. I mean, it is just an idiot. And he calls it an idiot all the time. Um, now, that doesn't sound funny, but there were certain things where like the horse keeps saving the day, but it's because it does the stupidest thing that somehow saves the day. And what's really cool is that as a reader, I haven't gotten to book two yet or three, maybe that's revealed, but I think that the horse isn't an idiot. I think it's in a lot more control. I also think that it might be, have been somebody. 
you know, that, that like got transferred in there. And so now I'm super curious. <laughs> and I got to talk to the author of this book and she had said, she's like, you know what? You have no idea how many people love that horse. And it's not, it's a, it's not a funny book and B it, well, it's not supposed to be funny in that respect. I mean, it, she's lighthearted, but I'm just jazzed about this horse. And it's like, everybody loves the horse. And so I've always wondered, well, you know, next. So I wrote kind of a card about the horse, specifically examples of what it did and how that was interesting and how that made me feel. And so I can use these character cards as inspiration when I'm thinking about what can make my book, you know, be set apart. I'm not going to steal her horse. That would, that would be terrible. But, <laughs> it will be a bird. <laughs> but how interesting that horse worked and why did it work? And just taking yeah. that second to look at that, like, man, is that fire in the creativity pit. Okay, so uh, it's just like, I like how you go and look at the covers and try to figure out like what really pops in, even with the content of some books. That's really good. Exactly. And what do you think right now is the number one social media channel to sell books right now? All of them. Okay. <laughs> um, so one of the things I tell authors, this is my number one piece of, of recommendation or, um, you know, that I give people when they ask is they're like, hey what should I do? You know what? There's thousands of different book marketing tactics out there, like thousands. And especially because people like me always writing about them, you know, people can sometimes think they have to do them all. I tell the people don't choose one or two and do them really well. Um, there's nothing worse than seeing an author who's trying to be on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, you know, and either a, they're working super hard and they're never getting to their book or B they're dabbling in each and it just sucks. You know, I mean, let's face it as a fan, I, I can tell when somebody doesn't care about a social media platform or that they don't get it. So I think it's better for an author to choose the one and the one that they understand, the one that they want to live on, the one that they want to be real with, you know, and uh, that's where fandom is created. When somebody just has a, has a Facebook page and they just po post, here's my latest book. My next book is coming out. Here's my, man, I'm, I need to be a super fan of yours already just to want to be there. But where I start to fall in love with authors and become a fan of it is when they really start sharing things, when they start, you know, well, when they get concept art and they do it, or when they're drawing or when they're, you know, a picture of their laboratory and where they're writing uh, you know, when they're talking about, you know, something or when they're bringing in their fans, you know, like those, those are the times where I start to become more of a fan of somebody instead of here's an avenue for me to be a fan. Uh, I think that's just much more important. Now, you, there's some people that could argue and say, well, you know, that, that there's this demographic on social media, on Facebook, and there's this other, and I write for that demographic. Sure, sure. But I've seen success in all the social media platforms. I don't think there's one to rule them all. If you are a children's book, you might want to think about Instagram a little bit more because of the imagery or that sort of thing. Maybe you could argue that. Um, but no, I don't really think there's one, one ring to rule them all. Yeah, I, I just find so challenging to find content about me. Like just talk about me. It's just weirds me out. Like I just do exactly what you said that I shouldn't do like, this is my latest book and you should go buy my book. So very, very boring. I don't know what I'm doing, but yeah, anyway, I, you know, I can uh, improve on that. <laughs> I can say, I can attest to this. This is that, um, 
you know, with running Kindlepreneur and all of them, like the only social media I'm on is Facebook. Just because when I was in the military, I used Facebook as my place to post about life so that I didn't have to call my family all the time from the other side of the world. They could just see what I'm doing. You can see I'm alive. It's okay. Yeah. Um, and here's the thing too, is I draw the line on my social media. Um, Facebook, which is where I'm at, that is just, hey, if you want to be my friend and, you know, you can be my friend and we're going to talk socially. I just kind of separate business and, and social media. And that hasn't hurt me. Um, as a matter of fact, I do have a lot of people who follow me on Facebook, uh, which means that they, you know, requested to be my friend. And I didn't accept it because either A, I didn't know who they were or B, um, you know, I, I, have, I have a couple of personal rules that I use on accepting. Like, for example, if the person doesn't use the real picture and it's like a cartoon, I'm like, nope, <laughs> you know, because um, like there's just, but I think that's, I think that's a good lesson for authors too is A, you don't need social media to, to survive or to win. Like it's not, it's something you can do. It's one of thousands of different ways you can market, um, but you can succeed without it. There are a lot of famous authors that don't use their social media. So keep that in mind. Number two, if you do do it, build your rules, be real, be true, and have your, you know, as they say, your boundaries, create your boundaries and stay true to it. And it makes it so much easier. That makes sense. If an author only has $200 to invest, where should they spend it? On their cover. <laughs> um, okay. so this is assuming you've done a great job with your book. You're a good, you know, good enough writer that, and that you have done editing. Um, you know, nothing will kill your book faster than poor editing. Uh, if you can't afford editing or something like that, then work super diligently yourself, as well as convince your spouse, friends, et cetera, and make sure that they've done a good enough job or else all marketing will go down the drain. Once the reviews start coming in that this is poorly edited, uh, that, so with that being said, um, here's the thing, uh, people judge a book by its cover. Um, that's, that's book marketing. It's true. I know that we use that old adage, you know, talk about, you know, to be a good person and don't judge people by how they look, but guess what? A book, a physical book is judged by its book cover. Um, that's because look, if I am going to Amazon to buy a book or I'm at Barnes and Noble or anywhere, if the book cover doesn't look professional, then why would I expect the book to be professional, right? If it looks like the person cut corners and made their own little, you know, Canva art and it clearly doesn't look legit, then why would I not only spend money, but also my precious time to read something that they didn't go the extra mile? So let's, let's first start that way. Second off is that with a, with a ho-hum book cover or a bad book cover, all of your marketing efforts will suffer, all of it. Uh, your email conversion rate, your, your natural sales on Amazon. If you're doing social media, you're going to have, you're going to have a lot less interaction. I have seen books. I have read a bunch of books that had a cover that was just astonishing. And I was like, <gasps> and I bought it. And then I started reading it and I was like, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay. You know, it wasn't horrendous to the point that I got a refund or anything like that, but <laughs> you know, but let me tell One you, one star on Amazon right now. <laughs> no, I wouldn't do that. It's not that bad. Um, what's actually what's funny is the, the example I'm thinking of, and I will not use any names because I think I do know the writer. Uh, <laughs> but uh, let's just say I'm well known for being really big fan of lit RPG books. Um, that's like my jam, lit RPG cultivation. Uh, so a lot of the writers there know that I'm a sucker for it. Um, 
And I just saw in one of the Litter PG Facebook groups, a new cover post. And I was like, that is awesome. And it turned out to be book three. So I immediately jumped on and bought book three, went back and realized, oh, I had already bought book one and read it. I didn't like it. <laughs> so that's why you didn't get the book three. <laughs> I, well, or book two. Yeah. I, actually, I had just missed that he'd come out with book two. I might've tried book two, but I was, I definitely wouldn't have bought ahead on book three. And so I was like, oh, Snapple. Well, whatever. And I'm literally halfway through book two. It's better than book one was, but I, I would not have jumped. I would not have continued on to book three naturally, but that cover got me. It was so good. Um, so let that be a lesson. Now, maybe I'm just a sucker, but I'll tell you this though. Um, I really believe, especially in Amazon, that there's a core group of readers that not only know what they want, but they're voracious at reading. You know, they will jump on the latest thing. They crush through it. That's why Kindle Unlimited is done so well, especially in like the romance area. There are, there's certain people that probably account for a major percentage of the sales. Uh, I, I guess I might be one of those for litter PG cultivation. Like, I just know that's my jam. I go there. Oh, that looks good. Oh, that's the kind of cover that shows my kind of litter PG cultivation dungeon style. I'm on it. Um, and so, whereas the moment they shift that cover away, like, they lost me because that's not what I'm expecting. That's not what I'm looking at. It's not my style, not my yeah. kind. So um, I bring all of that back to say how much a cover can really make or break. Now, how far you go from the point of sale is going to really depend on your writing at that point. So I'm not trying to be superficial here, but yeah, put all that money right into that cover. It makes everything easier. Okay. Do you think you can get a great cover for 200 or maybe 100? How much do you say is typical? <sighs> sort of. Um, here's the thing. There are lots of different ways you can go with a cover. Um, first and foremost, there are a lot of genre-specific uh, artists out there, um, and that's always a good indicator. If they specialize in one genre, it means they usually know what's hot in the genre, which is good. The more expensive the artist, the less interaction I have with them, because most of the time they know more than me when it comes to designing that style of cover. So if I'm paying them that much, I really should just go with what they have to say. Um, that being said, the lower or cheaper I go, the more I expect I'm going to be interacting with them more and telling them what I'm expecting. This is where that file on my computer really comes into play. I'll be like, hey, I love the font of this title. So use that font. Um, and that styling that they did where it's shiny and gunmetal, make it like that. Next, uh, you know, and so I'll literally describe the entire thing. And that's when I'm really trying to save money. That's where like I found a, a artist on Fiverr, you know, um, that shows real promise. Um, so there, and you could also go to ones where they do um, uh, pre-mades. And that's like an artist in a genre that has already pre-made say 15 book covers. And now I can look at the 15 and see if any of them really catch my eye and then purchase it. And that's usually cheaper than getting one custom made. So there are a lot of options out there. How much it costs really depends on all the different facets or who you find, but the pricing can definitely vary between based off of those three options. Okay. And do you have any keyword advice? Like what should we do with data? Like when we get data, like sometimes I, I hear keywords are hot and just don't know what to do with them. Yeah, no worries. Um, so if you have published a rocket, finding keywords is a lot easier because not only does it tell you what 
uh, phrases shoppers type into Amazon. It also tells you how many people per month type it in. It even tells you how competitive it is. Um, once you've generated that kind of list, there's, there's a couple of resources I recommend. Uh, first off is uh, I have an article. Um, and if you just type into Google like fiction keywords or nonfiction keywords into Google, my article should show up number one. It will give you a step-by-step -step process for you know developing that list and then how to put them into the seven Kindle keyword boxes that Amazon has. And that should really give you a major leg up on most authors out there. Okay, makes sense. Thank you so much. So much information. That was great. If people want to know more about you and look up your services, where can they find you? Sure. They can find me at kindlepreneur.com. There's a contact me button at the bottom of the site. Uh, hit that. And if you got any questions about anything I talked about, let me know. Okay. I'll make sure to share the links in the show notes. Thank you so much. Thank you. And thanks for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. If you loved what you heard, be sure to share it with me by leaving me a review. If you're ready to publish your book, let me take your hand in my course, How to Self-Publish on Amazon. I will show you every step you need to take to successfully go through the publishing process on the platform. Keep on writing, 